Welcome to Beautifully Bloomed, the podcast where we explore how to break you out of the box of rules and beliefs that are holding you back from the life you are meant to live. I'm your host, Rebecca Turville. Join me as I share mindset tools, coaching conversations, and human design to help you uncover your unique gifts and create the life, relationships, and business you desire. So today I am with Chelsea Paxton, and she is a fellow life coach, school coach, and she's a faith crisis and faith transition coach, right? For women and coming out of Mormonism, I guess I would say. Welcome, Chelsea. Thanks for being here today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I am so interested in your story because as you know, I'm doing this on the podcast this year. I'm doing kind of a series to to invite women on to tell their stories about their faith transition or their faith crisis. And it sounds like you've been through this a while ago. Like how many years ago has it been that you left your church? Uh, over 20 years ago now. Wow. <laughs> so that's a, that's a long time ago. But what I was curious about, because you were 17, Like, wow, how, like, I'm thinking of myself at 17, I would have never had the courage. Well, I'm 51 now. (laughs) So let's just say that, like, I just didn't have the courage to, to stand up and say anything about anything I questioned. So for our audience who probably a lot of people know this, I was not a Mormon. However, I did grow up in a high, I would call it more of a high demand religion, you know, where the rules, there's these rules you have to follow, um, or certain beliefs, you're so f- afraid. I mean, it was so scary to me. What if I didn't do it this way? <laughs> what if I didn't go to church anymore? Like all these things I thought that were super scary to me, which is why I just stayed, <laughs> even though I started having thoughts probably when I was in high school. But yeah, so for you to just say, I mean, what what was it that when you were in 17, which were you in still in high school even at that? Yes, time? I was still in high school. Yeah. So, so I grew up in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I call it the Mormon church because I grew up in the eighties and nineties. And so that's what I will use um, as a term. And um, yeah, I was born into the church. So both my parents were members. They met at BYU. I'm one of five kids born in Salt Lake city, you know, so pretty Mormon. And, you know, as uh, members of the church will say that I have pioneer stock, my family. So generations back, we go back to the founding of the church. And so it's like literally in my blood, you know, just how I was born and raised. But, you know, even as a little girl, I started noticing things that just didn't make sense. So for example, one time I was in Sunday school, I was probably in second grade And, you know, our Sunday school teacher who is a, you know, a volunteer, you know, just doing the best they can, probably just teaching out of a manual. And they were teaching us about how, you know, what are we supposed to do if one of our friends stops going to church? And of course the answer was, well, we shouldn't be friends with them anymore because they might be a bad influence. Right. And I remember raising my hand and just saying, well, isn't that when they need a friend the most? And just kind of being like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like if someone's going through something and something's happening in their lives, like, why would I stop being their friend? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And I just started noticing little things like that. And when I was in high school, probably around when I was 15 years old, this was in the mid nineties, my parents who like, I will say are Sunstone parents. So for Mormons, um, there's a publication called Sunstone magazine. That's for more progressive Mormons. And so we were a little bit more progressive 
And my parents were pretty open to different ideas and topics. And when I was 15, my parents read a couple of books by BYU professors who had just been excommunicated from the church for their research and scholarship. In the Mormon church, we call this the September 6th. There were six BYU professors who were excommunicated all around the same time. And in September, I think it was maybe 1993, if I'm not mistaken, but they were all kind of excommunicated as a group for their research and their scholarship into the history of the Mormon church and what they were publishing. So they were excommunicated and then my parents read their stuff. And so they, you know, a couple of years later when they found their books and that kind of thing, you know, they were pretty open. They said, Hey, you know, if you want to know some of this, you can read this, like just kind of gave it to me as an open-ended thing. And so I did read some of that and it was pretty shocking and startling because it was so different from what we were learning in Sunday school. And it kind of just started there. And then, um, in high school, whenever I needed to write a research paper for like an English class, let's say I would write about the Mormon church. Like I would go and, you know, we, at the time we were living near Seattle. So I would go down to the university of Washington library and go bury myself into the stacks and look in the archives and all these things and find more sources and more stories that were not being taught in Sunday school. And I would write about them. And so that kind of started that little seed, that curiosity. And then later in high school, you know, I still had all these questions about the church. I was, you know, a lot of things along with like the history of the church and how women were treated, had a huge issue with polygamy and all this stuff of the church was just basically trying to hide and cover at that point in the nineties. And for me, what also compounded that was that my parents started going through a divorce And in the Mormon church, good families don't divorce, you know, like this is just not a thing. And there really wasn't a place for me in the church. You know, I was discovering that I am a feminist and I was having some really, you know, serious, big questions around the history of the church and how women are treated and polygamy and all these things. Plus there was all this going on at home with my family that was not accepted by the church. There really wasn't a place for us. And so those things together, you know, is what, you know, when I was 17, I'm like, I I don't think it's safe for me to be here anymore. Did you feel like you just didn't fit in? Right. Yeah. I really felt like there wasn't a place for me. You know, I saw how my congregation, we call it a ward in the Mormon church, you know, treated me and my family when we were going through that. What do you mean? Like, how did they treat you? Did they like kind of, oh, they're like push you off sort of to the side? It was so interesting because like, you know, I will say like the Mormon church does a fantastic job caring for its community. So if you move in to a Mormon church, you know, like people will show up on your front doorstep ready to help you unpack boxes, bring you a whole week of meals. If you just had a baby, they will take care of you. If you are ill, someone will show up and mow your lawn. Like mm-hmm. it's, they really do care for their church members. Like it's a very close knit community, but when you no longer fit within their model of what a family should look like, I just don't think people knew what to do. Like, I don't blame them. Like, I think at that point, you know, this was the mid to late nineties. 
there wasn't a model for what to do with a family of five kids where the husband leaves the wife with five, like there, there was no, like, (laughs) there's no casserole chain for something like that. (laughs) Like, did your mom, did your mom and dad still go to the church or did they leave the church or? Yeah, we, we stopped attending at that point. Yeah. There was just so much going on. So you would have had to go by yourself. Right. Yeah. And I did a couple of times. I was able to drive and, you know, and I tried it out for a little while, but it just, it wasn't the same. Like I could, you know, as a coach now, I know it's my thoughts and what I was thinking at the time, but you know, I did feel that judgment. I did feel the eyes. I did, you know, experience that contrast of like when suddenly you're an outsider within your own community and you know, it, I had already had so many questions about the church in terms of its history and practices and doctrine and how they treated women. And, you know, I was able to kind of keep making it work because I had friends in the church. I liked to go into the church dances. I liked being social. Like there was enough to keep me in, even when I had those questions, like that dissonance was, I was able to manage it, you know, when I was doing all that research. But then when I really experienced what it's like to be kind of on the outskirts, that's when I was like, well, I think I need to move on, you know, and yeah. And then, you know, and I will say like, there was part of it where, you know, in the Mormon church, they, they, one of the core doctrines is that families can be together forever. And here was my family falling apart and the church wasn't there to, in the way that I imagined that they should be right to help us through that. And my 17 year old mind thought, well, my, it felt like my dad abandoned me and it also felt like God and my church had abandoned me too. And I kind of, my brain kind of put those two things together. And so that's really what kind of started the exit. And your whole family left, like all the kids in your family did not, none of them go anywhere. Yeah. I was one of the oldest. And so, you know, um, yeah, we all stopped going at the same time. So in some ways that seems easier. <laughs> You have your, at least you have your family, right? So some people believe their family stays in. I'm just thinking about my situation at the moment, but it's like when you're leaving and your family's still there, it's really difficult, right? It's so, but the other part is as you were probably brought up, like we were brought up too, like we have friends in church. That's like where they, where they are. They're not, you know, Yes, you could have some school friends, but you know, it's kind of not encouraged. (laughs) So what happens with your friendships? Right. So it's so interesting because I did have some good friends at church, of course. Um, At the time I was going to a private high school. And so I wasn't in the main school district where a lot of my church friends were going. And so I already had some friends that were outside the church because they were in a separate school. And what I will say is that when all that happened, my friends in high school really stepped up and were there for me. It's fascinating because again, I felt like, you know, with the Mormon church, we are so good about taking care of people in our community, except when we don't know what to do when they're experiencing something that's outside of what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And so, yeah, all of that reach out, you know, and it really dropped off. And then my friends in high school really filled that gap for me because they weren't Mormon. And to them, like 
they probably knew people who had gone through divorces and had struggles at home and could really understand what that was all about. And so um, it was a good experience for me to know that there are really wonderful relationships to be had outside of your faith as well. Yeah. So that, cause that was the next question, although you were 17 and you had friends outside the church, but I mean, how do you find community right outside the church? Cause that's my biggest issue. I think is like, okay, where's the community? Like I've been in this community for 50 years, right? A, A lot of Mormons will share that sentiment as well, because, you know, within the LDS church, if you move somewhere to a new neighborhood, you have an automatic church family when you move in. It's just how it works, which is so lovely, but incredibly painful when that no longer works for you. Right. So for me, the tricky point was, you know, this was right before I was going to be applying for colleges and all these kinds of things. And in the Mormon church, you are really taught and conditioned that you are going to go to a Mormon school though my parents were very open. They're like, if you want to go to Mormon school, great. If you don't, it's totally fine too. Like they were very open and flexible, but you know, the kind of the expectation is that you're going to go to a Mormon school. You're going to get married to a Mormon missionary is what I've heard. (laughs) Like your whole life is laid out for you. And so for me, I was kind of on that precipice of like, well, I'm going to be starting so many new things, like going to school, making new friends, all that stuff. So you know, I remember when I was doing all the research about the early history of the church and how it was founded and all this stuff. And I remember learning some things about Brigham Young, who was the second prophet of the church. And I just in integrity with me, like I decided that I could not go to BYU because it carried that man's name. And he was so harmful. And so, I mean, I, it was just so hurtful. Like I just knew even before I decided to apply to colleges, like I could not go to that school if it had his name. Cause to me, it carried abuse and all different types of things from the history that to me, I just couldn't do, you know, out of integrity with my values. And so when I had that moment, I'm like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And so, um, so I, I applied to different, you know, colleges and it all ended up working out, but things had to happen very quickly. You know, when I was doing this research and going through this experience, it was like all these life decisions really sped up. And what's so interesting is that when I did go to college, you know, and I made friends like with my freshman floor and all that kind of stuff. I didn't tell many people that I grew up Mormon. You know, I kind of kept that. Did they have to know, (laughs) right? Like, no, it was just, um, it was something that I really kept private unless I was really close to someone. Cause I think I was still deconstructing and still healing from all of that, that just happened and trying to figure it out. And what's so interesting now that I look back on, you know, my college experience, I was deconstructing and I was doing all this, but I didn't know that at the time. And, um, I ended up majoring in psychology and majoring in religion because, my campus offered a religion major that was not religious. Like it was an academic study of religion. And so it was so fascinating to me to look at sacred texts from across different world religions and look at it with a totally different perspective. So I was all in on that. I loved it. And I think the reason why is because 
I was trying to figure out what I believed in and what had my church been teaching me and was this really true? And what are some other ways to look at this? And what do we as humans have in common? And what, what are we trying to answer and solve together? And so I can see those four years now as like, oh, I was actually deconstructing my Mormon faith, but I didn't know. I just was, for me, academia was a really safe place to do that. So for me, I, that's kind of how I created community. Yeah. No, I'm just curious. Oh yeah. We were talking about community, but yeah, for me, I kind of how I created it like I, <laughs> yeah. in college and studying and that, but I didn't know that at the time, but now I can look back and see like, that's so interesting. That's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious yeah. too. You said something about the comments. Did you find a common thread amongst the religions that you were studying? Yeah. You know, um, I think, you know, as humans, there are just these big questions that we're all trying to answer, you know, who am I, where did I come from? Where am I going? What's the purpose for my life? Why is there pain and suffering? And what do I do about that? Right. And what happens in the next, after we die? Like, I think these are just very big human existential questions. And what I see so beautiful about religion and beliefs and spirituality is that it also gives us a way to mark out our lives. So when there's these transitions or liminal moments where we're betwixt and between, like you think of when a baby is born or when we come of age or we, you know, enter a big relationship or someone passes away, you know, like these are moments that humans across time have created rituals and understanding around because there is something kind of, you know, sacred or magical or unknown or uncomfortable, you know, just this, like, we're going from this stage to this stage. And what are we going to do about that? Well, religion gives us a way to mark out how to organize our thoughts and beliefs. And so we can move through those phases with a little bit more confidence. Like we know what we're doing, you know? So I find that really um, fascinating. And I love that because that's something we can all connect with, you know, we just do it in different ways. Right. So how did you choose then? I assume you didn't marry a Mormon man. No. (laughs) (laughs) How did you choose to raise your family? Just, I mean, there's a, that's, what's interesting about religion to me. It gave you, it gave me too a foundation for raising my family. So I'm curious now my family, my daughter turned 18, our youngest turned 18 this past summer. So then I felt like free of this obligation to have the foundation. (laughs) Right. So yeah. I'm curious about you. Like, is what kind of foundation did you? Yes. Oh, that's use? such a good question. Cause you know, um, I also describe the LDS church or the Mormon church as a high demand religion where it gives you a very clear structure as far as like all those big questions that I just asked. It tells you everything. It gives you an answer for everything you need to know and how you're supposed to do your life. And it gives you a very clear script. And so that can be the hard thing about leaving because all of a sudden you're like, well, do I need to toss that all aside? Can I pick and choose what is right? Especially when we've been conditioned to believe that there is a right way to do something. And if that's not the right way, then I have to go find the right way to do it. It has to be out there somewhere else. (laughs) And um, so what's interesting is after I went to college and I you know, studied religion and psychology, I knew I wasn't done. I was still just so in love with studying, you know, the two subjects. And so I went to grad school in Boston and studied theology and looked at more specifically 
theology and psychology and how they come together. And that's where I met my husband. And it was so interesting because I was there studying just purely for academics and interest on my own. And he was there to become a minister. (laughs) So so really funny turn of events, but um, many of my classmates were there to become ordained clergy in their denomination, um, which is something I wasn't as familiar with because in the Mormon church, you do not need to go to college or grad school to become clergy, it's lay ministry. So everyone serves the church, you know, in their own way, you don't need a degree to do so. But in many other denominations, you need to go to school to become a priest or a rabbi or a pastor. And many of my classmates were at Boston University to do that. And I remember telling one of my best friends, like, oh, I'm not going to date anyone here. <laughs> I'm just going to go somewhere else on campus to meet people. And it actually ended up turning out that I married someone within my program. And um, he is a minister or a pastor in the United Methodist Church. And that's where we're raising our children right now. And it's a very progressive side of United Methodist Church. I was and like, what a turn of events. I <laughs> like, know. I it's so funny. Part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like I said, I told my friend, like, no, I'm not going to date anyone within this school. I'm going to go, you know, somewhere. But no, he's a wonderful guy. And we're just very, very happy. And, but, you know, we still kind of pick and choose how to answer our kids' questions and to blend, you know, kind of how I grew up with how he grew up and what we want to raise our kids with on purpose. Like even the other day, my six-year-old was, she's like, so wait, mom, where did the first humans come from? Like, who was the mommy and daddy? Like, you know, she's like thinking things out (laughs) and I'm like, that's such a great question. Let's, let's wait for daddy to come home. Let's all talk about this. Cause I'm like, do we, do we talk about Adam and Eve? Do we talk about, you know, evolution? Do we talk about both? Like, how do we answer these questions? And, um, we blend it. We, you know, are working through it. Well, good. It sounds like you're open and he's open and that's the best way to be. Right. Cause I feel like, I don't know, I grew up in such a black and white, black and white mindset, right? It's like, this is a straight, narrow way. It's black, it's white, it's good. It's bad. It's right. It's wrong. There is not like an in-between gray area. And that makes it difficult when you leave because now I feel, I feel this pull too, that I could easily just follow somebody. Like, it's just so easy, right. To get into that black and white thinking about something totally different. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you can totally just, because Mm -hmm. you've been so trained to believe that there's a right way and a wrong way. (laughs) And so, so deconstruction takes that, right. It's like, it does. How do you get out of that? Yeah. That is a huge thing that I work with my clients as I find that very much present in like the ex-Mo or ex-Mormon or ex-LDS post-Mormon communities where that black and white thinking um, is very, um, you know, still there. It's still there. And so, and it can be really tricky to be in the gray, like to be in the middle and that is something that I've been working towards for many years and you know, I think we're still figuring it out and it's okay. Like, like I just said with like my six-year-old asking about where the first humans came from, I'm like, that's such an interesting question. I haven't thought about that in a really long time and to try things out and work it out and to know that it's, it's okay if you don't have an answer right away, it's okay to try things out and it's okay to, to pause and think like, well, 
I haven't thought about that in a while. Let me, let me really think about this. And we're really open with our children and we know we don't have to be perfect in having the answers and the solutions and we can not make it up as we go, but to give ourselves the flexibility to try things out and see what really lands and works and what aligns. And if it doesn't, then we try again. And that permission that we give ourselves is something that takes time. And it's something I also work with my clients is like that permission that you don't have to, it's not black or white or all or nothing that, you know, there is so much more beyond that. And to allow yourself to sit in that uncertainty and that unknowing can be a really powerful place. It gets scary at first, but that's where you really discover what you want to believe on purpose. And it can be just for you and it doesn't have to be, you know, this set of beliefs or this set of beliefs from someone else. Like you really is claiming your personal authority. That's something I talk about a lot because growing up in a high demand religion, your authority is external and, you know, that's just how it is. You're not allowed to question it and, or any of that. And a faith transition really is that journey of transitioning from that external authority to a personal authority. And it takes practice. It's a journey, you know, I'm, I'm still in it. Um, It really does because we're taught that the answer is outside of us, especially as women, especially as women. Oh, right. So yeah. like on and on. That's a whole nother topic, but it's like, this is exactly what I find human design to be helpful for too. It's because it teaches you who you are and who you're designed to be. It's like, Ooh, and it gives language to that. Right. It's like, Ooh, this is the whole nother possibility of a story that I could live. And my religion doesn't have to tell me that this is right or wrong anymore. Like, can I live into who I am and not think that it's right or wrong or good or bad? Yeah. It's just, it's a journey and it's an exciting journey in some, in so many ways, you know, it's like, wow, what if the world was just open to me, all the things, (laughs) everything was just open. And now I can just go see what I really want because it's hard to know what you really want when you've just been taught, this is the right way. Yes. Well, especially in that kind of highly structured, highly demand, you know, kind of, you know, any kind of orthodox expression of faith where you're not allowed to try on different ways of believing, different ways of practicing and worshiping, where you're not allowed to even look beyond that. You know, it's so interesting because you think that you have all the information and you think you're making choices and you have agency. But what you, when you come out of that, you realize that your hand was almost forced in terms of what you were choosing, you know, to believe when you open that up, that can be overwhelming where you're like, Oh, I really do have some choices here and I really can make my own decisions. And I don't know how to do that because I've never been taught that. But I love that you said that human design can give you language and a way to shift that inside of you. That's really powerful. Cause I think that's what we're all looking for. Sometimes we just don't know how to get started. Yeah. And I think that's what, when I, when I found human design, which actually was about two years ago, when I just started looking at, um, Oh, I'm designed to be like this. Oh, but that's no, I shouldn't be researching. Part of my design is I'm a researcher. I'm like, Oh, but no, that's wrong. Like don't go out and research things because then you're going to go off the straight and narrow path. And you're going to, you know what I mean? Like the devil will start whatever it is, right. It's just like, 
Uh, and then I was like, well, no wonder I'm so curious and love to read books and like to find out about all the different religions and cults and all the things, which I felt so guilty about for so long. I'm like, I'm not supposed to be studying like this is bad. <laughs> this is wrong. But you know what? Because it does open you up to questions about, wait a minute, that I'm not sure. Like, okay, what if that's true instead of this, right? It does kind of like you were doing, right? With your... Yes, I was. Yeah, well... You know, and especially in like the faith tradition I grew up in, like you're taught not to question, not to look outside of your, and if you do have questions, you can do that, but you have to read church only approved books and you have to get this answer. And, you know, stepping away from that, you know, I can see that, you know, that's an element of a high demand group in terms of you know, really limiting your access to materials. And so it's an illusion where you think like, oh, I am making this choice and I do have all the information when actually the group itself is preventing me from even looking beyond it. And there's so much freedom where you can just see that this is an element of how some groups work and this is a group dynamic and it's not me and there's nothing wrong with my human curiosity to look beyond this. There's nothing wrong with it. Truthfully. No, absolutely. <laughs> I think it really opens up a whole new world and, you know, to use our critical thinking skills um, is such a gift because, you know, for so long that was really um, kind of forbidden, right? And so I felt um, so guilty. It, it wasn't even that it's just understood. Do you know what I mean? Like so many things. I've thought about this so much. I'm like, well, who told me? I'm like, I don't know. I just heard it. It just was understood. It's like, it's like the group believes this thing and it just kind of whatever way it comes out. I don't know if it's a certain person, you know, did they actually say it on a Sunday? I don't know, but it's just, this is the way you grow up and you there's things you feel guilty about for not even knowing why you feel guilty. You know, it's like nobody said specifically, no, don't go read that book. However, it's all enforced within the group. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how that, yeah, it's just, I have a lot of stuff I can write about that because I'm like, wow, there were a lot of things that I just understood to be bad. I don't know if there was any written rule about it anywhere. It's just not what you do. You just don't do that stuff, especially as a woman. You just don't do that stuff. <laughs> you know, And that's so. very much prevalent in the church as well. And again, it's tricky for people because when they have like butt up against that, it's difficult. They're like, well, but it's not written in scripture, but it's not written in this, but somehow it's just enforced by the group itself. And, you know, I will say, you know, um, for the past few months, I've been looking more into elements of like a high demand group or different kinds of, you know, influences of control. And I don't know if the group does that on purpose. Like if this is like a calculated decision that they've all made, like this is how we're going to enforce this or if it's just human nature. Sometimes we're in, you know, a very closed off group. Sometimes these things just start to happen. But what I will say is that it does have that influence of control over your life. You don't even see it or even know it's like the fish in the fishbowl. Like you don't know you're in the water. And so it can be really powerful to just understand that dynamic and to see it. And you're like, Oh, now I have language for explaining why I think I can't do something when in fact I do know I can. And so now it's just kind of that transition is, moving beyond that group set of rules and, 
you know, expectations and then deciding like, what do I want to do? Because I actually do have a choice here. And it's really fascinating, but I know a lot of people experience that for sure. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it feels so I think too, there's such this, um, this fear-based thinking about, oh, if I, you know, date a guy who doesn't go to our church or if I, you know, what's going to happen? Like there's some terrible thing that's going to happen. Or like, you know, if I, yeah, if I choose not to, well, for instance, get married in the church or I choose to like wear my hair a different color or I don't know, it just sounds crazy actually as I'm saying it. However, these are real things and these are real concerns when you're a young woman growing up trying to figure out what you should do with your life. And my husband who was in our church, um, he also is often angry about the fact that he feels like I just married him because he was the right choice. (laughs) Like, you know, it's been something to work through in our marriage. We've been married for 30 years now, but it's a thing to work through, right? It's like, well, yes, but I still love you. Yes. I don't know if I had other choices. I don't know. Right. But I still love you. And so there's so many things that because of the church environment, I made decisions based on that. And it's really deconstructing that stuff and coming back to choosing again, right? It's like, well, I still choose you now. I still choose you. Let's just decide we choose each other. Even though there was the background thing, it doesn't mean we can't go forward, but we've had to, in our marriage, even work through this stuff, you know, that, oh, we decided this, this, and this because of that. And what if we hadn't decided that and that and that, right? And what would have happened? Yeah. So- Well, I love that you say that because I think there's so much power in redeciding those elements again, you know, whether you're going through a faith transition or not, like just at any point in your life, just the power of choosing on purpose, your life and releasing that momentum and that energy to propel you forward and keep you going. That's something that I work with sometimes with my clients. So they'll come to me and say like, I don't know how to make decisions for myself because all of my growing up, I turned to the church to tell me what to do. And especially as women, it was priesthood holders, men in the family that, you know, would give you that advice and wisdom and tell you what to do. And so I think one of like, one of the activities I love doing is just, you know, asking people just to write down, like, give me all the simple decisions you just made in the last few days. Like, you know, what you had for lunch and right. You know, just like little things, just like reminding yourself that you make decisions all the time and you've been practicing these little decisions and so showing yourself that like, no, I've made decisions in my life and to not minimize those daily decisions because they are powerful. And then you just build momentum. You keep going and doing little things for yourself and challenging yourself to, you know, make other decisions, like choose where you're going to go, go to lunch today and order exactly what you want. And don't worry about what other people, you know, just little things, but those are so powerful because often we'll tell ourselves, I don't know, or I don't know how to choose or how to make a decision on my own, but actually in some ways we've been doing it all along and now we just want to like amplify them. But that is something that so many women have shared with me. Like, yeah. Learning to trust yourself, right? Yes. It's, It's really powerful to know that even though I'm married, I don't have to you know, my husband doesn't have to have the last word on something for my, me, like I can have a discussion or, or, you know, we can have a discussion, but that doesn't mean that he gets to decide 
anything for me, really, you know, <laughs> he can decide his stuff, I can decide my stuff, <laughs> we can just come together and, you know, be a married couple. But yeah, that has, that has really taken me a long time. And that's one of the things I fought so hard. Okay, my husband is probably not the quote, normal guy for my church who would be a lot more probably just have a lot more thoughts about women working and went, like I did, I went to college and I worked, that wasn't necessarily the thing to do. <laughs> you should stay home, have a bunch of kids, right? It's, that wasn't the thing, but I just felt like I cannot, <laughs> I cannot, I'm just not meant to be a mom of eight, 10, 12 kids. I'm just not, it didn't work in my life plan. So that was one little way that I, I was dissonant right from the beginning. Like, I'm just not going to be the normal quote, person, which always I felt like I should just pretend though. Still, I should pretend I should pretend that I don't believe in birth control, but I should just pretend this stuff because you're not supposed to, you know, even if you do a family planning, right? You're not supposed to believe in that stuff. So you just pretend, (laughs) you know, that you do. And it's like, oh, you know, just why aren't you having babies? Right. I don't know about the Mormon community, but in our community, it just feels like this pressure, you know, just like, yeah. If you haven't had a baby for three years, what's going on? You know, it's like this pressure. Now I have to say, and I should say this more often on my podcast, if if people are listening who are from my community, possibly they are. I don't know that everybody believes that way. This is my perspective of what I saw, right? This is what I experienced. And I just felt so terrible about so many things that I believe that didn't fit in. (laughs) And I've been struggling with it for years. So this is what my year this year on the podcast is about. It's like exploring faith transitions. Like, what is that like? What, what happens on the other end now, right? When you can be fully authentic and live to yourself, like live for yourself. It's like, what will that feel like? I don't know. I'm exploring it though. <laughs> it's important to me. So you know? exciting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very exciting. And, you know, I think as you're saying there, like it, you know, I just noticed how, you know, again, like what we do with that dissonance, it's like, you know, you have this thought or this belief and, you know, but then you think you should or shouldn't have that. And it's like, you start, you know, kind of, I don't know, you start wrestling with that when it's so interesting that sometimes that thought like, oh, I should, or shouldn't be doing this. That's our thought too. It's a, you know, it's not anyone else, you know, I know. (laughs) It's been learned. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's so learned, learned and so practiced. Um, so one of the freedoms of going through the transition is that you can start to see both of those thoughts. And then you can start to look at like, oh, I don't have to put that limitation on myself. Like I can let go of the idea that I should or should not believe that. And the possibility that maybe people like me actually believe the way I do too. And it's okay. You but I just, know. <laughs> you never know exactly. Yeah. But Um, it's interesting how we kind of keep ourselves within our constructs ourselves with that idea of like, we should or shouldn't believe this certain thing and how mind blowing it is when you discover, wait, other people like me do that this way. Like I thought everyone was on this (laughs) because I think that's how it is in the Mormon church too. Like when you were talking about birth control growing up, I had this idea that like Mormons don't practice birth control. Like they have lots of kids and you're supposed to have lots of kids and all these things. And what's so fascinating to me is I think recently the church said that it's the couple's decision about what they do with birth control. It's not the church's decision. And I'm like, that's really empowering. Actually. I thought that was kind of surprising. I didn't know that the church taught that. I just had this idea that you're supposed to have a huge family 
but the church doctrine actually says it's up to the family to decide what they want to do. And we're going to stay out of it. I thought that was so interesting. I had this perception and then it's like, oh, interesting. So I've experienced that too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I said, I know that there are others who, or you can make it work for you, right? You can, I, and I thought about that too, but I have been making it work for myself for about 10 years. So I'm like, I'm done making it work for myself. <laughs> so I'm ready to move on. But, oh, you know, Chelsea, I could like talk to you for days about this stuff. This is fun, <laughs> but I, I think we're getting to the end here. So before we leave, like, how can people find you if they're interested in learning about your work or your coaching? Like, where's the best place? Yes. Um, so I have, um, I'm on Instagram and so on Instagram, my handle is chelseapaxton.coach. And I also have a website where you can find out a little bit more about my story and how I work with my clients. And that is um, chelseapaxton.com. Oh, easy. Super easy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll put those in the show notes so that if people are interested in finding you, they can find you. So thank you so much, Chelsea. This has been a really good discussion. Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please go subscribe so that you get notified of all the future goodies that are coming along. While you're there, please leave me a review and let me know what you think. So excited to share this with you and can't wait to talk to you next time. Bye.